Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Susan Johnson. All right, welcome back to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy. And I'm excited about today's topic, finishing the mission. And definitely with that topic, we have to give credit to a couple people with that. One, George for even just really giving the title. And George, as you know, George Fowler um, is going to be a regular contributor on, at times on this podcast, a mentor of both of ours. We really appreciate him. But we also got to give credit to Sue Johnson and really taking the time and watching tapes, reading research, and really seeing how important it is, these corrective emotional experiences are to creating change for couples in therapy. And as we were preparing for this, we got to share a story from our, our dear friend and awesome trainer, Gail Palmer. And uh, when I we're on this pot, we're sitting here, Ryan's like, we got so much, we got so much, how do we cut the time back? And we're having an opposite problem. Because when Gail first started in training, and she was doing the externship, which is about a four day process, Her very first externship, right? the very first one <laughs> that she's crying at lunchtime, because she's taught everything she knows. <laughs> so what you're getting on this podcast, where we're taking, we're, we're able to break down now, Ryan, to micro moves because of the great therapists who have went before us in, in this field. And we, we're thankful to Gail and all the EFT trainers that have come before us, for sure. For sure. And so it, just to set the, today's topic, as we were talking about it, Ryan, this idea of finishing the mission, the image that kept coming to my mind is that our clients are in pain and they're coming to us because they're stuck and they're hurting. And so we as a therapist need to take that, to have the sense of seriousness and urgency about it and not just taking their pain and kind of like, we're one slow in approaching it in a way where when we get there to that pain, we don't really deal with it or go into it or, or really uh, organize it. And we kind of sometimes maybe want to kick it down the road mm -hmm. or just kind of get philosophical around it. Mm -hmm. And that's not really a good thing to do that you and you and George do a great job of emphasizing. Once you get people's vulnerability online, finish the mission. Let's do it right now. Yep, right now. That's the right big now. one, right now. Yeah, people often ask for, are you going to teach us some tips and techniques? I used to argue with them because that's not a very effective form of couples therapy. But uh, years ago, I stopped arguing. I'm like, yep, I'm going to teach you some techniques and we're doing it right now. You know, why, why not practice? If, if you're learning a sport, why not do it with your coach as opposed to having him just give you constant homework? So that's kind of what we're talking about. I remember for me, when I first got serious about EFT, EFT is a common model because the, the research and the outcomes are so compelling. A lot of people play with it. E EFT has to lead the world in the number of hacks, the people that kind of do it. And, and I was certainly one of those. But I remember being in New York, the first time I did externship, which is where most people start to get serious with EFT. It was maybe 08 or 09. The, the years blend together for me, if I may be a little off there. But we were walking down the streets of Manhattan. I was going to train with Sue and others, and, and John Gottman had just come out and declared that Sue Johnson was the, the top couples therapist in the world, and, and we were talking about, among friends, can she be that really different than the rest of us? And the uh, answer is yes. But as we got to training, it, it, it wasn't necessarily as clear as I would have liked for her to say it. Since then, she's become more clear, which is really my fault. Maybe I wasn't catching it. But anyway... What she was doing is actually way less than what most couples therapists try to do. 
So most of us go chase every lead. We're trying to work through all the individual issues. We get stuck and caught in that. And, and one of the things that's so great about EFT and, and what Sue gave us and then how George has been on the trainer team, which has clarified Sue's wonderful ideas, is she really trusts in the power of corrective emotional experiences. It's our theory of change. It's both behavioral and emotional in a blend that if people can have, if we can restore these missing conversations and have these new conversations to install in their body, you've changed everything. And our research proves it. So a corrective emotional experience is what we're talking about. That's the mission we're referring to. And George's add-on here, which has been so incredibly helpful in calling it finish the mission. So let's go back to the basics here. When a relationship is secure, it has two components, and that is signal response, signal response. A healthy relationship has one party. It doesn't matter the gender, whatever it is. Sometimes we get lost in attributing behavior to things that really aren't respond or not causal in nature. But it's the ability to put out a clear signal, a distilled, granular, congruent signal, meaning my body language and my words line up to really let you see me. And the other party responds. It's sort of empathy in action. It's not just empathy. It's not just listening. It's also my ability to respond. You know, my favorite word being comfort. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can use different words if you want to, but that's really what we're talking about. Relationships come to us because their natural processes of signal response are somehow blocked. So block is a word that we have used and we will continue to use even more on here. And when we use that word, the assumption is couples who are healthy and secure will naturally do signal response. We're born to do it. It's in our bones. It's a survival wired in trait. People don't typically need tons of skills and techniques to learn from us. The question is, how did they unlearn how to do it right? And more importantly, how do we finish the mission to get corrective experiences to get them doing it again? And the beauty is, number one, Human nature is on our side. It's universal. And two, it doesn't take that many corrective experiences when we get to a deep enough level for it to become the new way of being together. So finish the mission. Do you want to talk about that or you want me to define that? The image that just really hit me, because I know we work in images a lot in EFT, is when you said that about, I know George is good about this, is he wants to always look at what's blocking secure attachment or secure connection between a couple. And what I see finish the mission is if you need the troops to get through to send a signal to deliver supplies in this signal and response for a couple is part of the mission is, is finding that block and going after that block. I don't know. You can, you can clarify, but that's the image I'm getting in finishing the mission. I want to go after that block. Okay. and get it through because it's vitally necessary for this couple to be able to connect. That's a great point. That's a great point. I want to work back one step if okay. I could. Yes. You know, a funny thing is if you teach this places, people are writing notes. They're like, oh, signal response. You know, this vulnerable signal, this clear signal, that's what I'm supposed to do in relationships. I never knew that. And yet we intuitively know this. When you study unwanted forms of close, <clears throat> unwanted forms of intimacy in relationships, it's obvious. If someone is in a committed monogamous relationship and they start to have these kind of conversations with someone else, it's obviously inappropriate because it bonds you. If someone stops by their coworker's office every afternoon and closes the door, 
and drops into a clear signal of vulnerability of like, here's my heart, here's how I'm really hurt. And the other person just responds with empathy and you walk by and you see that, you go, hmm, that feels funny because you just, they've just split the atom when it comes to one of the most powerful forces on the universe. And so, but for some reason, we don't sort of convert that information to help in relationships where you want the intimacy. And, and in doing so, we overcomplicate this. We try to solve 74 things instead of staying focused on finishing the mission. So I like what you said with block orientation. I want to back out just a little bit. Here's the way I define finish the mission. Once we ask for someone to give us a more vulnerable description of their pain, and they give it to us. Once they've taken a small risk, maybe I said I'm angry, and you come back to me and said, hey, Ryan, will, will you stay with me for a minute and help me understand the anger, which is very EFT of us. We don't so much go for why you're angry. We don't even just leave anger or assume that's enough. You're asking me for a bit more. And maybe I'm a great client, and I'm not that blocked, at least with you. And I say, well, really, uh, I'm angry, but I, and I'm also, I sort of, I sort of miss this person, or maybe I'm, there's a sadness with me. Mission has just been declared. Once vulnerability enters your room, now your mission has been declared. And our job is to maintain focus on getting a response back to that vulnerability. And that's the key point we want to emphasize today. And really, in many ways, the rest of this podcast is about serving that function. Because now there are so many lovely nuances that, that become the leading edge of our ability to really work with that kind of movement. So I might stay with sadness more. My job is to use your full tolerance of what you can do that day. And uh, I try to get it online. I need to ask you where it is in your body. That's maybe the most tangible tool for finishing the mission. We call it body in and body out. So if you tell me there's a sadness and I can feel it in the room, which is really key, if you use a, if you use a primary emotion word, but it's not felt, I need to stay with that and stay curious. But if you use a, that emotion, I can feel it. I need to find out where it is in your body. Can you feel it right now? Yes. Where do you feel it? It's a pit in your stomach. So that pit in your stomach marks the finish line. It's the start finish line. And so now I'm going to work around via basic techniques, really, which is reflection, which is use of self, proxy voice, validation to give permission to mistrust, and, of course, enactments, where you send sadness to your partner. And then I work with their, I expect them to block. So I'm ready to use my processes to work with their blocks, parts, whatever it is, but end of the day, I am trying to get partner B to respond back with some kind of empathy to partner A. I've got to get some kind of response back to that pit in the stomach, which is sadness. Even if the response is not so great. Mm -hmm. If they give a really empathic response, wonderful. We'll capitalize and process it around the tango like we always do. But even if they can't, we want to stay with it and even get some slice it thinner. So we want to get someone to say, hey, I really... I really can't respond today, but I do care. That's still a response. Can you tell them that? And so then, then when that's, that response is given, we always we want to check back with that pit in the stomach to see if it's shifted. And if it does, we want to process it extensively 
and let partner B know that their response matters, right? Because humans don't do what doesn't work. And so ultimately what we're trying to do is to give people small wins, success and vulnerability, and titrate that into bigger wins, which redefines their relationship. It changes their view of self and other, which is the core of attachment. So that's what we mean when we say finish the mission. So if we, when we don't finish the mission, if I could ask for a show of hands for how many couples therapists <laughs> don't finish our mission, we're going to have 100%. James raises his hand. My hand is raised. Couples therapy is hard, man. You can be really good. I've seen the best, I, I believe I've seen the best therapists in the world still have sessions which go sideways. Sometimes those cycles wins. Sometimes the cycle wins. And I want to stop for a minute because it's important that we know why cycles win. Cycles and blocks are really born in survival when people's lives have been in danger, whether that's literally or emotionally. And those wounds, those raw spots are incredibly deep so much so that the human brain gives priority to that. So when a cycle wins and you have a bad session, it's okay. It's even good. It just happens sometimes. You know, sometimes my client's survival instincts are just better than my clinical moves. That doesn't make me a bad clinician. It just, it's just life. And sometimes you got to sort of grind it out with people and keep fighting. But I think I like what you're saying there in giving that um, gray space. But you can never win a mission that you never declare. So I think that's big about this, about you and Georgia, how serious you are. And Sue, too, about being serious. You can't ever go, you can't complete a mission you never really start. Well said. It's one thing to have blocks and cycles and trauma beat you. You know, I hate to use a competitive way about that. But in some ways, that's our goal. It's me versus the cycle. It's not me versus my client. It's me versus those reactive protective patterns, which is what cycles are. Yeah, it's one thing to know your mission and just the cycle is a little bit better than me that day. It's a whole other thing, though, to be lost. And that's, what, that's the spirit of what we're trying to do here in the Leading Edge podcast is say you shouldn't be lost. You shouldn't be lost. You should know what you're doing and why at all times. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, let's learn from it. But to not know your mission is not giving your clients the very best we can do. And that's not acceptable. You could even argue unethical, but I won't. <laughs> so if you're not finishing your mission, he's giving me the bad look over there. If you're not finishing your mission, let me tell you what is happening. The cycle is determining direction. Now it's calling the shots in the room. So for some people, it's just really helpful to say, as clinicians, we're not responsible for outcomes, but we are responsible for process. Don't let the cycle dictate your direction. If I'm working with partner A and partner B interrupts me, it's okay to interrupt right back and to say, I know this is hard. Hang on. We'll come to that in a minute. I have to finish this. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. And sometimes we have to break through our societal norms. Maybe you were... In your growing up years, you were told not to interrupt. These are, this is why we train. So we can't let the cycle or client reactivity change our mission. We finish one mission at a time. Otherwise, we inadvertently teach people not to be vulnerable. If they take a risk and we let them change the mission, then we've inadvertently said don't do that again. 
And that's, that's not okay. So we give it our best shot at a minimum. Partner B flies out the window. Worst case scenario, we respond. Because if people are unresponded to invulnerability, they'll stop doing it. The other thing that we don't want to get ourselves into is teaching techniques. Teaching techniques. It's super popular. Even though research has been pretty solid, even John Gottman's research, that teaching techniques is not very effective. The relapse rate when we teach techniques is off the charts. Because it's the wrong part of the brain. When a, when a relationship is not in distress, they can use these wonderful techniques, speaker, listener, what, whatever it may be, communication mats, all those neat things, which are really nice ideas when people are not upset. But when distress hits and the triggers start to happen, people are cued into action. The limbic system takes over, and most people are not very effective at using their techniques, which actually is worse than if they didn't have them. Because it's one thing to not know the technique. It's another thing to have the right techniques, and we can't even use them. So now we've opened the door for a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you referenced early on, which I've done many times. I've done all this many times, by the way. So let me come across like I got this down. But, you know, we can get ourselves in kicking the can down the road. Talking about next session and next session. And we're going to teach you this and teach you that. We're going to get to this. We'll deal with the trauma. We're going to deal with that. That's one of my least favorite. Communicate and deal with that. Phrases I don't let set in my office because they're just really vague way of just delaying this. Mm. So when people say things like, I need some techniques, great. Let's do it right now. Here's the technique. Can you work with me right now? Can you stay with me for four minutes? Here's the technique I need you to do. Can you help me understand more extensively what you mean when you say you're angry? There's your technique the ability to put out a clear signal? Or can you help me understand what happens for you when you can't respond? And I hope that y'all really catch what Ryan just said right there. That's, that's revolutionary in therapy, I think, in a way. It's one thing if I give a client a, a technique to do at home, but while, if I think it's beneficial at home, wouldn't it behoove me as the specialist right now that's helping them to go ahead and do that thing right there, right now, to help them have some success right there in that moment? Yeah, that's big. Because they're not going to be able to do it. If they could do it, they wouldn't be in your office. And me giving you two or three techniques, it might work for a week or a month, but it's not going to work for a year or two years, which is why recidivism in some studies is as high as 95%, 93%, which is just way too high. So the last thing we don't want to get caught in is being philosophical. I get a lot of people that ask me, how do you teach attachment? I'm like, by finishing the mission is how you teach attachment. You know, you can do a little bit. You can, you can do some psych ed in pieces, 90 seconds here, two minutes there. But psych ed sets the table, but nobody eats from that place. You know, it's nice to have the, day, the, the dinner table set, but it's corrective experience that brings the food. That's what people are hungry for, and they don't know that, which is why they came to you to be the expert. Don't get me started here, but I have lots of people like, give me the resource. What resource? For you are the resource. <laughs> they paid for you. For us to show up and to be clear on our map and to work with them, not only from a, from a map standpoint strategy, but also from your soul and from your heart, mm -hmm. that is the resource. We don't want to kick the can down the road with too many books. Not saying you can never do it, but I am saying be careful trusting that is what's going to actually work. So what clicked in my mind is like I heard Sue's voice right here. The tango teaches attachment. It really does. Because if you can follow an EFT, if we can follow the tango, 
and reflecting the present process. They learn how they're dancing together. You distill their emotion. You have them help that corrective emotional experience. You get that response back. But then in that, in that final step of the tango, you make sense of everything that just happened from you. A famous line that I keep hearing from Gail is, and you get all the meat off the bone. And you help them see it. And so not only do you, they see it happen. They feel it happen in their body right there in the moment. And you as a therapist highlight what happened. You're not talking about something they're dreaming about. Good. I love it. All right. So moving towards wrapping up, but really the rest of this podcast is going to serve this podcast. Everything else we're about to do over the next series of weeks is coming back to try to arm people to get to that leading edge to finish the mission. So here's your warning. You ready? Here's your warning. Uh oh. <laughs> Number one, clients don't like this. Mm. I don't blame them, frankly. They'll like it. They'll like the aftertaste, but they won't like it in the moment. I don't know how many people have come in my office and said, hey, do we have to do that deep stuff today because I've got to go back to work and I don't want my mascara. To <laughs> I started saying, hey, you know, it's really your time, but do you want to take a, a more effective route or a less? <laughs> so bring your makeup back, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. But clients would much better kick the can. That's what's funny is it feels good for us and feels good for them. The problem is if, if I tear my ACL in my knee, mm. you can do physical therapy on my elbow and it won't hurt as much. I'll like it more and it'll be easier for you, but it never solves the injury. Secondly, more, more practically speaking here, the closer you get towards finishing the mission, the more defensiveness you're going to get. The closer you get to what's valuable, the more guarded it's going to be. I'm looking out uh, at our office over here. We got a business office, a medical office, and a bank. Guess which one has more security? <laughs> the business office, you can walk right in. The medical office has some security. The bank has a lot of security because there's cash over there, I'm assuming. And, uh, and that's how people's emotional systems are. The closer you get toward the more vulnerable parts, you know, where they need you, is where you're going to get blocked more often. So what's so hard about this and so important when you're trying to get to this leading edge is to recognize that blocks tell you that you're on target. You've, we've got we've to do something which is a little bit inhuman, which is to learn to like it, <laughs> learn to want to be blocked. If I'm sailing through and, and my clients are just doing everything I ask them to do with ease, we're really more the same. So it's when they block me, it's when they become resistant. Maybe they scream, maybe they shut down, maybe they change the subject. Maybe you ask them about the sadness and they tell you why they're sad, which is a really common move. That's a block. And so when we can learn to embrace that and even want that, expect it and plan for it, now we're on that, we're on that edge that we're trying to seek. Does that make sense? Yeah, can I, I want to check to make sure I'm understanding right, because I think that's the thing. I love EFT, but then sometimes it makes me frustrated because you cannot just master it. It always just keeps getting clearer and clearer. But when you said that this time about talking, finish the mission, it got clearer for me again. So part of when I think about finishing the mission now, tell me if I'm right or wrong, it is about getting the clear signal. One, you're, that's part of the mission. But then it's definitely declared once I've gotten them to give a vulnerable signal, that I want, then the other part is to finish the mission is I have to get, I get some kind of response back. 
anyone I'm also hearing today, I always thought about it just for the person sending the signal, but the couple overall, their relationship needs to experience the corrective emotional experience. The person needs to know that they can send one. The other person needs to know that they can catch it and respond back to it with some success to give them that overall corrective emotional experience. So it's like the feedback loop kind of in a way. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, EFT works because of titrating corrective emotional experiences. Finish the mission is what we're referring to one at a time. I can't tell you how many sessions earlier in my career I'm trying to work on a mission. I get double blocked you know, by both parties, next thing you know, I've changed focus Mm. and something nice happens. And so that feels good. We get something online and some response, but, but I've left that previous mission or two behind unfinished, unfinished missions, just increase future cycles. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to not let happen with our focus. Focus is the hardest part of EFT. That's right. By far. So when I don't help a person get a clear signal and I kind of let them just talk and vague themes or whatever that just once again sends out a bad danger signal it's not self for the relationship or if i get one person to send out a clear vulnerable signal and no response back whoo that's a bad day exactly so kind of wrapping up here we talk about three-way attunement three-way attunement I, I think i'm the only person that might talk about that which means someone will probably correct me one day but that's all right three-way attunement eft is not easy what we're trying to do is to keep the process as simple as we can for the clients and the therapist takes the cognitive load in our training to keep them in their experience. The only thing I want to be hard for my clients is taking a risk. I don't want them having to relearn tons of information. The information is already in their bones. All I've got to do is get access to it and find those missing pieces. However, on my side, it is somewhat complicated because what we're asking people to do is sort of three forms of attunement. Part one of attunement is what we typically think of it as empathy, the ability to demonstrate to my client that I'm with you, that your experience does make sense, and, and there's a resonance there. That's, that's attunement. Also, though, a clarity on exactly what's going on in their dance and not chasing themes and complaints and talking about emotion, but rather being in it. There's one form of attunement out of three. Number two is I've got to be able to pay attention to my own signals. A lot of times your best indicator of when an emotion is ripe to send it across for an enactment is when you feel it. You know, and obviously this is going to vary some by where you are, but as you get deeper in therapy, I heard someone say, if it doesn't break your heart, keep, stay there, (laughs) keep going. But if it really touches you, if it brings a tear to your eye, we're ready. And again, obviously that's going to vary based on where you are. But in order to let, in order to have a tear in your eye, you've got to be able to pay attention to your own signals. So that's part two of attunement is your own self, attuning to your own response. There's, if you're working with one therapist and a couple, there are three attachment systems in the room, and all three are really important. The use of self, self-access. The third piece, though, is kind of what we're talking about today, which is attuning to the target, which is finishing the mission and corrective experience. It's not easy to hold all three of those at once. We're juggling plates sometimes. But at times we have to choose to sort of borrow from one of those to stay focused, and that's kind of what we're referencing today. Man, Ryan, that was good, y'all. And as we close out, I just got to say that line Ryan said a moment ago. 
the information is in their bones. I just got to access it. And so we hope that you as, as therapists who are committed to your craft, that this really helps you because the information is also in your bones. And so we just want to help you access that in you too, as you're going to access that with your couples and definitely as you work to help finish missions. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan Rayna on Facebook at Ryan Rayna Professional Training and on his website, ryanraynatraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com.